But today, the, ser- the real sermon, we're actually in week three of our sermon series called When God Speaks. And we're talking about uh, the minor prophets in the Old Testament. Minor prophets didn't mean that they were unimportant. It meant that the books that they authored were smaller than the major prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel were major prophets. And guys like Malachi and Haggai and uh, Nehemiah, the- or not Nehemiah, other guys, they're the minor prophets, and Micah is the one we're talking about today. So we're doing five of the 12 minor prophets this summer. We're right in the middle of the series, and you can find all this online if you want to talk about it more in your small groups or with your family. So we're in Micah. If you want to turn to Micah chapter 7, feel free to do that. Micah's a little bit, it's a little bit of a a longer minor prophet book. Um, It's got more chapters than some of these we've already been looking at, and I encourage you to be reading these on your own. Don't just take our word for it. And today, we're talking about misery. How many of you have ever been miserable? Raise your hand. If you've ever been miserable, raise your hand. I'll wait. God's watching. How many of you have ever been miserable? I'll raise my hand. I, I want you to think about this in your own life right now. When was the last time you were miserable? And for me, as I was flying home from Chicago with my family, spending a a week and a half out there with our family, my father and mother um, had, we celebrated their 50-year anniversary. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Some of you are like, that sounds miserable. No, it's good. It is, that's not, that wasn't my misery hook. I'm just saying, it was awesome. We were out there celebrating. My dad, if you've met my dad, he's He's hilarious. He's great. And for the camera, he just said, well, we've made it 50 years, and uh, I'm going to give it another 50 years, and if it's not better, we're going to go to counseling. And so that's my dad for you. Um, He's the guy that when you first met him, you might have met him in the lobby, and he said, hey, this is my first wife, Carol. They made it 50 years because of his humor, okay? So Uh, Take yourself less seriously and you might make it 50 years in marriage too. But we're talking about misery because I was on the plane. Um, I'd already kind of prepped the sermon. I was kind of ready to go. But I was listening to some, uh, some, I was doing a little bit more prep on the plane ride home. uh, Just, you know, trying to get in my happy place and and, and starting to think about this morning and teaching. And it, it dawned on me midway through the flight that God was giving me a sermon illustration. Because I happened to find the most miserable seat on the plane last night coming home from Chicago. I'm still working through it, so you're going to have to just forgive me. I, there was an old man behind me, bless his heart, which is Christianese for what an idiot. He was an old man. I, seriously, I, I wasn't sure at first, but he was, he was a sweet old man. But he obviously had some issues, and he is tugging and punching and pulling at my chair the whole flight. And I was, I literally, like I was, I wanted to pull my hair out. My hair's gone. I'm like, what the heck? And so I was so, like by midway through, we're over Nebraska somewhere, which is miserable as well. And I'm just like, this is, this is going to be the end of me. And my, my, my wife and kids were sitting kind of a couple rows behind me. We we're all in the aisle. They were watching this whole thing having a blast, <laughs> which made it even more miserable for me. 
So then I just thought, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean forward in my chair and just kind of get off this. It's going to be uncomfortable, but at least I won't be as miserable. And, and I, I kind of lean forward in the chair, and there's a teenage boy in front of me. And he's like talking to his brothers, and he's laughing and jerking around the chair. And so his chair is moving around, and he reclines it back into me. I'm like, dear Jesus, please come today. I'm ready. It doesn't have to be the rapture. You can just take me. And I, and I was like, I'm so glad I'm not in an exit aisle because I would have been out that plane. And so I'm sitting there and I'm just, I'm just like, you know, trying to, trying to not be unchristian. I'm like, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And, and I, I seriously was thinking, speak the truth in love. Like I was going to, I was going to kind of turn around to this old man and I was just going, I love you, brother. Praise Jesus for you. But would you just sit there quietly, please? <laughs> like I'm rehearsing this thing in my mind the whole time. And I, I just, for whatever reason, God gave me the strength to not do any of that. But I was, Tracy said at some point, I like threw my seatbelt off and I, and I stood up and I just walked to the end of the plane and back. I had to take my walk to my safe place and all the way back. And I was like, Lord, why? I don't understand why bad things happen to good people. <laughs> Anyone been there before? Raise your hand. Thank you. I see those hands. And I'm like, you, I'm looking around at the plane. I'm like, I'm better than 95% of the people in here. You know, why couldn't one of those guys be sitting here in my chair? And I'm like, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm bar- now I'm at the bargaining phase. I'm going through all the phases of grief. And I'm, now I'm at the bargaining phase. I'm like, why couldn't you have put this guy behind the teenage kid? And they could just make each other miserable. Like that seemed like justice to me, you know? And as I thought through this whole thing and we made it through it and I, I uh, you know, we, we kind of we laughed a little bit. I was not ready to laugh about it yet, but we laughed a little as we got off the plane. And everyone sitting around us, they were like, I am so sorry. Like, they could see what I was going through. And, and I thought, you know, this is such a great example of one of the types of misery. Because I think, broadly speaking, there are two types of misery. There's misery that you bring on yourself. And there's misery that is not your fault at all. This was the second type. Like, I felt like this is, I didn't do anything to deserve this. How did I get placed in this miserable middle? How did I get placed in this situation? And some of you, I want you to think about the thing in your mind right now that you're thinking about when I ask the question, how many of you have ever been miserable before? Some of you might still be in that place. And I want you to just think for a minute, is this my fault? Or is this just what happened? I just got a, I was Delta, I picked the wrong seat on the plane, Right? I picked the wrong spouse. Raise your hand if you picked the, don't do that, just kidding. <laughs> you know, you're just saying, I, for whatever reason, I think I've just, this, I think the economy or the, or the, the politics of the situation or, or, or a health crisis that was no fault of your own. And, and so for so many people, I want you to think about this in your life. In fact, I think we probably all have both types of misery in our life. We've all experienced both types, types that we've brought on ourselves and types that, that really just, happened. And today as we look at the book of Micah, I want to make sure to give you some context for the book of Micah because there's just three basic talking points. And the first one is this, that God helps people in their misery. And we're going to fast forward through the book of Micah all the way to chapter 7. And again, you can read the whole thing. I encourage you to. 
But let me just give you the quick two-minute synopsis of what's happening in the book of Micah. Micah's a prophet around the same time that Isaiah, the, the major prophet, was writing as well. And what had happened in Israel, Israel used to be one great nation under David and Solomon, and then it split into two nations, the north and the south. It split into what we call Samaria and what we call Judah. So there were Samaria, Judah was in the line of David the whole time, and Samaria, the northern kingdom, uh, was not. And so what had happened is the people of God kept disobeying God. And they brought misery on themselves. I'll say that again, because this is really important. Because some of us are like this, even if you're part of the people of God. You can be a Christian and you can still do this. Some of you aren't Christians yet. I want you to, I want you to really pay attention to this whole message. Because there's, there's, a, there's something you need to hear at the end. But for right now, I just want to say, you can be a child of God, you can be a part of the people of God, and still bring misery on yourself because you're disobedient to God. And that's exactly what the Israelites were famous for all through the Old Testament. And so the Israelites brought this misery upon themselves, and and even so, God is a God who likes to help people in their misery. And sometimes this drives me crazy. Because I've, I've been on planes before where I, see, where I see parents just cutting their kids too much slack. And now we're all paying for it. We're like, would you please do something to your child to incentivize them to stop doing what they're doing right now? And I, you've, if, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I, sometimes I look at how people parent their kids. And I'm like, I'm like why, are you, why are you letting them get away with this? And I think that that's sometimes how I feel about God. Why are you letting your people get away with this? Why, why are you so gracious? Why are you so forgiving? I don't understand it. And the prophets were guys that were kind of like that. The prophets tended to be guys that followed God. They were obedient to God. And so God used them as a, as a spokesperson for the people of God. And so usually the prophets had this message of judgment, this harsh condemning message for the people. Hello, everybody. If you keep doing this, God's going to punish you for this. If you keep doing this, you're going to regret it. And that's exactly what happened. In 722 BC, the northern kingdom gets defeated by the Assyrians. And then about 150 years later, in 586 BC, the southern kingdom, Judah, they get destroyed. And now Israel has no home. They've lost the promised land. And they don't even have a national identity anymore. And this is the time in which the prophets were writing. They're like, I tried to tell you. Because the truth is, some people have to learn the hard way. Some of you are raising teenagers, and you just heard what I said about raising kids, and you're like, I wish I had ears to hear that 10 years ago. Some of you have kids who are in their 20s or in their 30s saying, I don't know what, I don't know what went wrong here, but I really wish my kids were still pursuing God, and they're not. And we can't, as parents, we can't make decisions for our kids. And God even, as our Father in heaven, doesn't make decisions for us. But God is still a kind of God that helps people in their misery. Micah 7, it says this, O Lord, protect your people with your shepherd's staff. Lead your flock, your special possession. These these are the words of Micah, like kind of calling out to God on behalf of the people who are being punished because they've been so disobedient to God. And Micah is a part of the nation, and Micah is in exile just like everyone else is. He's like, 
Oh, Lord, please protect your people. Would you just be a shepherd to us again? Though they live alone in a thicket on the heights of Mount Carmel, let them graze in the fertile pastures of Bashan and Gilead as they did long ago. It's like you're, just, you're thinking back to the simpler times, the better times, you know? And I love what it says in, in the next verse. Yes, says the Lord. God loves to say yes to our prayer requests. He said, yes, I will do mighty miracles for you like those I did when I rescued you from slavery in Egypt. They all knew the stories, but that was so long ago. They hadn't seen God move in their time. All they had seen in their time was misery because of their forefathers' disobedience and because of their own disobedience. But God said, I'm going to do mighty miracles for you. Here's the truth as you read on, even in this chapter. The truth is that everyone who rejects God faces his judgment. So see, what was happening is the people of God were facing his judgment. But I'm going to use a different word for that. They were actually facing his discipline. Because there's a difference between judgment and discipline. Discipline is something that a dad does for his kids because he loves his kids. And it's hard for him, like when your, when your dad said, now back in my day, you could spank and talk about it publicly. So I'm not going to talk about whether I spanked when my kids were young, but I am going to talk about how my dad spanked me when I was little because I think he can't get in trouble for that anymore. <laughs> and I am so grateful that he disciplined me. The Bible says if you love your children, you'll discipline them. And, and so many people in our culture today say, no, if you love your children, you'll, you'll, you'll just love them. As if discipline is not a part of love. Discipline is an integral part of love. If you, parents, dads, if you love your kids, you'll discipline them. You won't abuse them, but you will discipline them because you love them and you want the best for them. And that's how God is with his children. And so what God had been doing with the people of Israel is he was disciplining them through the Assyrians and the Babylonians. He was giving them fatherly discipline because he loved them. It still hurt him. I'm sure God was saying, just like my dad would say, this is gonna hurt you Sorry, this is going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you. And, and I always wanted to say to my dad, well, then here, give me the paddle and I'll spank you. <laughs> but that wasn't ever an option. But now as a dad, I understand that. It's, it's hard for a dad. A dad loves his kids. A dad doesn't want to discipline his kids. A dad disciplines his kid because kid he loves his kids. And so when, when God allowed Assyria to come in and, and defeat the northern kingdom, and then he allowed, he allowed Babylon to come in and defeat the southern kingdom, he was doing it as hard as it was. He was doing it because he loved his children. Not because he hated them and had given up on them. It's because he loved them. But see, what, he's talking, what Mike is talking about in this section in chapter 7 is another thing called judgment. Because here's what happened with the people of God. Anytime, anytime you get disciplined, at some point you come to your senses and you're like, I'm so sorry. And I think that's where the people were now. His children were there at that place. Micah was a part of that. They were like, we're so sorry. And then what happens is they started looking around like I did on the plane last night and saying, why are all these people sitting in the good seats? Why am I the only one going through this? Because the people of Israel saw the Syrians and the Babylonians and like, these are pagan, these are pagan, agnostic, atheistic people. Why do they get to prosper? And I don't. And God's answer to that is in this passage. He says, Oh, trust me, I'll judge them. I just want you to hear that for a second. He disciplines his kids 
and he judges those who reject him. Which one are you? If you're a child, it doesn't mean that life's not going to have misery. And a lot of that misery comes because of your decisions. But God is disciplining you through the misery. He's not judging you. But with those who reject God, they'll face his judgment. And that's what he says here in verse 16. All the nations of the world will stand amazed at what the Lord will do for you. He's talking to his children now. For you. Right now, they have the upper hand. Right now, they rule over you. Right now, they're, they're benefiting from you. Right now, they're, they're using you as slaves for their kingdom. Right now. But someday, they're going to stand amazed at what I'm going to do for you. They will be embarrassed at their feeble power. I love this. They will cover their mouths in silent awe, deaf to everything around them. And he says this, I love this. He says, like snakes crawling from their holes, they will come out to meet the Lord our God. Could you imagine being, being one of the Israelites listening to Micah and you feel all bad and you feel guilty and you know that it, you brought this on yourself, but then God gives this message of hope and encouragement. He says, trust me, someday all these people who are beating you down are going to be like snakes crawling out of their holes and they're going to come to meet our Lord and they will fear him greatly trembling in terror at his presence. Trust me, someday God will judge the people who are being used by him to discipline you. There's a New Testament equivalent to this passage, and it's in Philippians 2. It says, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. He's saying this, Someday, 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 everyone's going to bow. So the question you have to ask yourself is, I'm gonna, Am I going to bow now in submission to God as my Lord and King? Or am I going to bow later, right before he judges me? Everyone's going to bow. So you can choose to bow now and submit yourself to him, or you can fight it, and someday you will be forced to bow and recognize that he was right and you were wrong. And the good news is this, and here's the last point for today. That God's rescue, and, and his rescue is a theme not just in the Old Testament, but it's a theme in the New Testament. God rescues us because of his love, not because of our obedience. I don't want you to get the wrong idea when you're reading any of the prophets or any of the Old Testament. I want to make sure that you understand something. Micah's message wasn't, you should be obedient so that God would accept you. You should be obedient so that you could become the children of God. No, that's not what he said at all. He said, you are the children of God. Because of his covenant love for you. You are the children of God because he chose you as a special possession. You are the children of God because of his character, not because of your character. You are the children of God because you just are. My kids can't not be Dwyer's. For better or worse, they're my kids. They did nothing to deserve that. They didn't, I did all the work to bring them into the world. Hey, I should be able to say that on Father's Day. Tracy was helpful also. (laughs) Kids, ask your parents about that joke later if you're not sure. But the point is that God rescues us because of his character, because of his nature, because of his love, not because of our character or our nature or because of our obedience. It's not like some reward or some gift that he gives to us that we've earned. So if you're here today and you're thinking, I want to be better so I can earn his love, no, that's not the message. The message is this, if you've trusted Jesus for salvation, he's given you his love. Now, would you respond to that in obedience? 
That's what he wants. And Micah says this, and we'll end with this. He says, where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant, those who have remained his children, overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love once again. You will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. You will show us your faithfulness and unfailing love as you promised to our ancestors, Abraham and Jacob, long ago. Because your love for us is not dependent on our obedience to you and your commands. And that should move us to be obedient as his children. And when you're obedient, you don't have to be miserable anymore. God wants to turn your misery into hope. And today I just encourage you to embrace that. Let's pray together. God, I praise you for your word. I praise you for your prophet Micah who spoke these powerful words thousands of years ago to a people that lived in such a different time, such a different culture than what we live in today, and yet we can read these words and still learn from them because you, O oh God, are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You never change. And really, to be honest, people never change. We all deal with sin. We all deal with idolatry. We all deal with disobedience. But thank you, Lord God, that your covenant is dependent on your character, not on our obedience. And I pray, Lord Jesus, for the person here today who is trying to follow you by their own works and their own goodness, I pray that you would release them to trust in you for salvation. And then, Lord God, that they would experience your covenantal love and that would change them from the inside out. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.